The Suitor of Selkirk Author Unknown Once upon a time, there lived in Selkirk a suitor, by name Rabbi Hexbeckle, who was celebrated both for dexterity in his trade and for some other qualifications of a less profitable nature. Rabbi was a thin, meager-looking personage, with lank black hair, a cadaverous countenance, and a long, flexible, secret-smelling nose. In short, he was the Paul Pry of the town. Not an old wife in the parish could buy a new scarlet rocolet without Rabbi's knowing within a groat to the cost. The doctor could not dine with the minister, but Rabbi could tell whether sheep's head or haggis formed the staple commodity of the repast. It was even said that he was acquainted with the grunt of every sow and the cackle of every individual hen in his neighborhood. But on the whole, this wants general confirmation. His wife, Bridget, endeavored to confine his excursive fancy and to chain him down to his owl, but her interference met with exactly that degree of attention which husbands usually bestow on the advice tendered by their better halves. That is to say, Rabbi informed her that she knew nothing of the matter, that her understanding required stretching, and, finally, that if she presumed to meddle in his affairs, he would be under the disagreeable necessity of giving her a whipping. To secure the necessary leisure for his researches, Rabbi was in the habit of rising to his work long before the dawn. He was one morning busily engaged putting the finishing stitches to a pair of shoes for the exciseman when the door of his dwelling, which he thought was carefully fastened, was suddenly opened, and a tall figure, enveloped in a large black cloak and wearing a broad-rimmed hat drawn over his brows, stalked into the shop. Rabbi stared at his visitor, wondering what could have occasioned this early call, and wondering still more that a visitor should have arrived in town without his knowledge. "'You're early afoot, sir,' quoth Rabbi. Lucky Wavecraft's cock will no craw for a good half-hour yet. The stranger vouchsafed no reply, but, taking up one of the shoes Rabbi had just finished, deliberately put it on and took a turn through the room to ascertain that it did not pinch his extremities. During these operations, Rabbi kept a watchful eye on his customer. He smells awfully, muttered Rabbi to himself, and we'd be ready to swear he just came from the plowtail. The stranger, who appeared to be satisfied with the effect of the experiment, motioned to Rabbi for the other shoe, and pulled out a purse for the purpose of paying for his purchase. But Rabbi's surprise may be conceived, when, on looking at the purse, he perceived it to be spotted with a kind of earthy mold. Thought Rabbi, this queer man might have taken that purse out of the ground. I wonder where he got it. Some folks say there are bags of silver buried near this town. By this time, the stranger had opened the purse, and as he did so, a toad and a beetle fell on the ground, and a large worm, crawling out, wound itself around his finger. Rabbi's eyes widened, but the stranger, with an air of nonchalance, tendered him a piece of gold and made signs for the other shoe. "'It's a thing morally impossible,' responded Rabbi to this mute proposal. "'I have as good as sworn to the excisemen to have them ready by daylight, which will not be long in coming.' The stranger here looked anxiously towards the window. And better, I tell you, to affront the king himself than the exciseman. The stranger gave a loud stamp with a shod foot, but Rabbi stuck to his point, offering, however, to have a pair ready for his new customer in twenty-four hours. As the stranger, justly enough, perhaps, reasoned that half a pair of shoes was as little use as half a pair of scissors, he was therefore obliged to come to terms, and... Seating himself from Rabbi's three-legged stool, held out his leg to the suitor, who, kneeling down, 
took the foot of his taciturn customer on his knee and proceeded to measure it. "'Something over the splay, I think, sir,' said Robbie with a knowing air. No answer issued from the suitor's dark, silent visitor. "'Where will I bring the shoes to you when they're done?' asked Robbie, anxious to find out the domicile of his visitor. "'I will call for them myself before cock-crowing,' responded the stranger in a very uncommon and indescribable tone of voice that echoed hollowly through the room. "'Nay, sir,' quoth Robbie. "'I cannot let you have the trouble coming for them yourself. "'It will just be a pleasure for me to call with them at your house.' "'I have my doubts of that,' replied the stranger in the same peculiar manner. "'And at all events, you might find that my house would not hold us both.' "'It must be a right small building,' answered Robbie. "'But know that I have taken your honor's measure. "'Take your own!' retorted the stranger, "'and, giving Robbie a touch with his foot that laid him prostrate, "'walked coolly out of the house.' The sudden overturn of himself and his plans for a few moments discomfited the suitor, but, quickly gathering up his legs, he rushed to the door, which he reached just as Lucky Wakecraft's cock proclaimed the dawn. Robbie flew down the street, but all was still. Then he ran up the street, which was terminated by the churchyard, but saw only the moveless tombs looking cold and chill under the gray light of a winter morn. Robbie hitched his red nightcap off his brow and scratched his head with a very evident air of perplexity. Well, he muttered as he retraced his steps homeward, he has slipped me this time, but sorrow take me if I'm not up with him in the morn. All day Rabbi, to the inexpressible surprise of his wife, remained as constantly on his three-legged stool as if he had been bound there by some brother of the craft. For the space of twenty-four hours, his long nose was never seen to throw its shadow across the threshold of the door. So extraordinary did this event appear that the neighbors, one and all, agreed that it predicted some prodigy. But whether it was to take the shape of a comet which would deluge them all with its fiery tail, or whether they were to be swallowed up by an earthquake, could by no means be settled to the satisfaction of the parties concerned. Meanwhile, Robbie diligently pursued his employment, unheeding the concerns of his neighbors. What mattered to him that Jenny Thrifty's cow had calfed, that the minister's servant, with something in her apron, had been seen to go in twice to Lucky Raycrafts, that the lord's dairymaid had been observed stealing up the red path in the gloaming, that the drum had gone through the town announcing that a sheep was to be killed on Friday. The stranger alone swam before his eyes, and cow, dairymaid, and drum kicked the beam. It was late in the night when Rabbi had accomplished his task. Then, placing the shoes at his bedside, he lay down in his clothes and fell asleep. But the fear of not being sufficiently alert for his new customer induced him to rise a considerable time before daybreak. He opened the door and looked into the street, but it was still so dark he could scarcely see a yard before his nose. He therefore returned into the house, muttering to himself, What the sorrow can keep him? At this precise moment, a voice at his elbow suddenly said, Where are my shoes? Here, sir, said Robbie, quite transported with delight. Here they are, right and tight, and mickle joy may have him wearing them, for it's better to wear shoes than sheets, as the old saying goes. Perhaps I may wear both, answered the stranger in an ominous voice. Bless ye, quoth Robbie, do you sleep in your shoes? The stranger made no answer, but, laying a piece of gold on the table and taking up the shoes, walked out of the house. Now's my time, thought Robbie to himself as he slipped after him. The stranger paced slowly on, and Robbie carefully followed him. The stranger turned up the street, and the suitor kept close to his heels. Where can he be going? thought Robbie as he saw the stranger turn into the churchyard. He's making to that grave in the corner. Now he's standing still. Now he's sitting down. Mercy! What's come of him? 
Robbie rubbed his eyes, looked round in all directions, but lo and behold, to his astonishment, the stranger had vanished. There's something no canny about this, thought the suitor, but I'll mark the place at any rate. And Rabbi, after thrusting his all into the grave, hastily returned home. The news soon spread from house to house, and by the time the red-faced sun stared down on the town, the whole of the inhabitants were in commotion. After having held sundry consultations, it was unanimously resolved to proceed in a body to the churchyard and open the grave which was suspected. The whole population of the Curdwink turned out on this service. Suitors, wives, children all hurried pell-mell after Rabbi, who led his myriadum straight to the grave at which his mysterious customer had disappeared. There he found his awl still sticking in place where he had left it. Immediately all hands went to work. The grave was opened, the lid was forced off the coffin, and a corpse was discovered, dressed in the vestments of the tomb, but with a pair of perfectly new shoes upon its long, bony feet. At this dreadful sight, the multitude fled in every direction, Lucky Waycraft leading the van, leaving Rabbi and a few bold brothers of the craft to arrange matters as they pleased with the peripatetic skeleton. A council was held, and it was agreed that the coffin should be firmly nailed up and committed to the earth. Before doing so, however, Rabbi proposed denuding his customer of his shoes, remarking that he had no more need of them than a cart had for three wheels. No objections were made to this proposal, and Rabbi, therefore, quickly coming to extremities, whipped them off in a trice. They then drove half a hundred tenpenny nails into the lid of the coffin, and, having taken care to cover the grave with thick divots, the party returned to their separate places of abode. Certain qualms of conscience, however, now arose in Rabbi's mind as to the propriety of depriving the corpse of what had been honestly bought and paid for. He could not help allowing that if a ghost were troubled with cold feet, a circumstance by no means improbable, he might naturally wish to remedy the evil. But at the same time, considering that the fact of his having made a pair of shoes for a defunct man would be an everlasting blot on the hexpeckle extension, and reflecting also that his customer, being dead in law, could not apply to any court for redress, our suitor manfully resolved to abide by the consequences of his deed. Next morning, according to custom, he rose long before the day and fell to his work, shouting the old songs of the suitors of Selkirk at the very top of his voice. A short time before dawn, however, his wife, who was in bed in the back room, remarked that in the very middle of his favorite verse, his voice fell into a quaver, then broke out into a yell of terror. Then she heard a noise, as of person struggling, then all was as quiet as a grave. The good dame immediately huddled on her clothes and ran to the shop where she found the three-legged stool broken in pieces, the floor was strewed with bristles, the door wide open, and Rabbi away. Bridget rushed to the door, and there she immediately discovered the marks of footsteps deeply imprinted on the ground. Anxiously tracing them on and on, what was her horror to find that they terminated in the churchyard at the grave of Rabbi's customer? The earth round the grave bore traces of having been the scene of some fearful struggle, and several locks of lank black hair were scattered on the grass. Half distracted, she rushed through the town to communicate the dreadful intelligence. A crowd collected, and a cry speedily arose to open the grave. Spades, pickaxes, and mattocks were quickly put in requisition. The divots were removed, the lid of the coffin was once more torn off, and there lay its ghastly tenant, with his shoes replaced on his feet, and Robbie's red nightcap clutched in his right hand. The people, in consternation, fled from the churchyard. Nothing further has ever transpired to throw any additional light 
upon the melancholy fate of the suitor of Selkirk. <laughs>